So in this series, we've been, we've been looking at some of the, the characteristics of God, some of the attributes of God that, that make God God. That, and, and, and as a result of that, these are some of the reasons why uh, our heart uh, delights in Him, uh, why it's a good idea to make God our uh, greatest ambition, to, to know Him, uh, to learn of Him, to discover Him, to search the Scriptures and to... Uh, as Jesus said, they testify of him to discover uh, the greatness of the one with whom we have to do. That we've been saying that, that, that he is the, the, the ever-present one. Uh, that his presence fills not only uh, past, present, and future, fills all time, but, but also fills all space. You know, uh, that God is everywhere. Uh, he's not in the trees, he's not in the rocks, like the Druids would kind of, you know, uh, believe, but... But no, but but his his fullness is 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 in the spans of this universe. He's the ever present God. He's the ever powerful God. Uh, all power belongs to him. Uh, he is infinite, limitless, boundless. The the uncreated life, God, Almighty, and uh, yet I got to remember this very important point about who he is. He's not only the ever-present one, uh, but he's also infinitely holy. And I'm not. He's, he's infinitely righteous, and we're not. So here's, the, here's my question this morning that I'd like to pose to you. How do we, who are finite, connect with the infinite? How do we, who are, who are sinful, how, how, how do we, who... Uh, really have nothing in common with this incredible being, uh, or not much in common with this incredible being, how do we make a connection with, with this living God? And more importantly, how does he connect with us? I want you to think about some of these things this morning as we talk about the infinite power and holiness and, and majesty of God. Uh, I remember reading someplace in the beginning of the book, you know, where there was a flaming sword that turned in every direction, preventing man from going back into the presence of God. A couple of weeks ago at Collision, Doug spoke about two of Aaron's sons who were probably intoxicated and probably when they went into the tabernacle and they offered what the Bible calls strange fire, they became crispy critters. The fire of the Lord consumed them. Last week I had mentioned uh, one of the rebels against Moses was a man by the name of Korah who led a rebellion against a coup d'etat or against Moses. And as a result of that, the ground opened up and swallowed them alive and they went down into the pit. Uh, this is an awesome and a mighty God. Remember what, what, uh, what Moses said uh, or, or what the Lord said to Moses that no man can see my face and live. How do I connect with God? He's not in Facebook. You know? He doesn't Twitter. Maybe that's what I have in common with God. We both don't Twitter, you know? But 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 he, he's not found, you know, in, in, in Facebook. So I, how can I make a connection with, with God? Um, how can I make a connection with God without without, you know, being crushed by the weightiness of his presence? Have you ever heard the story about uh, when David was bringing up the Ark of God into the city of David? 
And uh, the Bible says that the, the ark, that it, well, it was supposed to be carried on the shoulders of the Levites, but instead it was on a cart, a truck being pulled by oxen. And, and it, the oxen began to stumble or the cart began to stumble. And a guy by the name of Uzzah was trying to do a good thing and, and to steady the ark from falling down and breaking. And, and the Bible says that when he touched the ark, the Lord smote Uzzah. How do you connect with a God like this? How do you connect with a God like this who, who if you go into his presence in an, in an unworthy state, you may not come out of his presence? So that's the, that's the question. Every, every kind of analogy that we can possibly think of, any kind of metaphor that we can possibly try to use as a comparison kind of fails. But we keep trying, right? We, we keep trying. I want, I want you to th- think about... You know, th- think about a field mouse, you know, just a tiny little field mouse, you know, like about a quarter pounder, you know, about four ounces, you know, and, and, and just compare that to, say, say an elephant, you know, what kind of a relationship could a mouse have with an elephant? What, what kind of connection could, could, a, could an elephant make with a mouse, you know, like, could they be friends? Could the elephant befriend the mouse? You know, and and without accidentally kind of just oh sorry I didn't see you there you know and just squash you know, you know, how, how does how does how could an elephant help uh, someone of such a, a small and inferior you know uh, position? And 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 here's where here's where the allegories break down because there's nothing to compare God to because because. When we're comparing apples to apples, at least while there's a vast difference between the mouse and the elephant, they're both creatures. They're both created beings. But God is the uncreated life. So how do we, how do we connect with God? And how does God connect with us without crushing us by the weightiness of his power? We're but dust. You know, little specks of dust, that's all we really are. Uh, on a big ball of dust, traveling through the ocean of the universe, you know, uh, and yet God stretched out the universe by the spans of his of his arm. He, this is how he measured it, by the spans of his arm. God measured it. God holds the oceans in the hollow of his hand. God is bigger than, than this universe. And I'm just a, a tiny little speck of dust coursing through time and space. Well, you know, it's beyond comprehension. And it must have been really beyond comprehension when the angels in Genesis chapter 1 heard God say to God, let us make man in our image. And so in the image of God made he them male and female. God made them in his image. It must have been the talk of heaven. The angels must have gotten together and said, "Did did you hear what the creator is planning on doing, he's planning on making a being in his presence. And then when they saw God breathing into mud, clay, which which he had formed from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the angel said, well, what are nostrils? You know, this, this material realm, God breathing spirit into, see, God's spirit and, and God's pure spirit. And now, and now spirit, because, because before that there was God and there were angels and, and their spirits. 
And, and then all of a sudden, now here is a spirit being inside of a physical body. That was probably the talk of heaven. But I imagine that was, was nothing in comparison to. I mean, it's one thing for God to make man in his image, but it's another thing for, for God to make himself in the image of a man. And this is what we're talking about this morning. Getting ready for, for Christmas. Getting ready for the celebration of the birth of Jesus. I, I want you to, this week, I just want you to think about this. In the midst of all the activity, in the midst of all, this, all the stuff that we do, to get to this place where we have a connection and where we have an encounter with God that's new and that's fresh and that's vital to have this vital union between God and man, uh, it, took, it took an extraordinary uh, wisdom for God to release this blessing upon us. The boundless, limitless, eternal one became finite, became limited, became mortal. The, the immortal became mortal. And that he became a speck of dust, just like us, just like us, just one of us. This is not a pretend humanity. This is not God putting on a disguise. This is not like, like some celebrity putting on an obese suit and having a film crew go around and film uh, the, the bad responses or the rudeness of people to somebody who is disguised as, as not being what they really are. No, no, this is, this is God really becoming a human being. This is God, the second person of the Godhead, really taking to himself a body. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus rejoiced for a body you have prepared for me. And this is what he rejoiced. This is not, this is not a disguise. This is, this is nothing less than the greatest of all mysteries, no wonder why Paul said this in 1 Timothy 3.16, beyond all question, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness God displayed in a body, in the body of a human being, the humanness of God. It, it's, almost, it, it's almost paradoxical. It is paradoxical. It, it's, it's almost, I mean, if, if God wasn't the one who revealed it, it would almost be blasphemous to even suggest it. The mystery that has been kept secret since the world began, Romans 16, 25. Paul said in Colossians 1, 26, The mystery hidden from past ages and past generations, but now revealed to the saints, to the set-apart ones. God's revealed this mystery. And, and it doesn't come to us by way of intelligence or by way of education. It has nothing at all to do with, with intelligence, but it has everything to do and it's not just information, it's impartation. It's a miracle. It's just as much of a miracle as the very birth of Jesus, as, as the, the new birth is a, is a miracle. That his presence be formed in us and that his life be lived in us is a miracle. So here's a statement I want to float with you this morning for your consideration. There is no greater mystery... There is no greater mystery than God revealed in His humanity. Perhaps the greatest. 
of all 10,000 reasons a heart will ever discover. There is no salvation apart from this. There is no salvation apart from this truth. Anyone who denies the deity of Jesus or the humanity of Jesus makes an error that is making shipwreck of their faith. This is the foundation upon which the gospel is presented to us. The one who is, who is all-sufficient became dependent. The one who is infinite became finite, became one of us. That's why in Hebrews 2 it says this, Since the children have flesh and blood, since the children that he wanted, since the, the ones that he came to rescue had this, flesh and blood, He too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way. He had to become the legal representation or the legal representative of a new species of people in order that he might become a merciful and a faithful high priest in the service to God. That he might make atonement for the sins of the people. That he might make the payment, the ransom price. His name is Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And it was necessary. It was the wisdom of God, the secret that was hidden from other ages and generations, but now made known through the proclamation of the gospel. The connection has been made. God the Son becoming Jesus in his humanity, being joined there. This is, this is beyond our ability to, to, to explain because there is this mystery involved in this that the Son of God takes upon himself a human body and a human nature, one person with, with two natures, one divine, the other human, two consciousness, two, two memories, two wills in one glorious person being formed in the womb of a virgin being birthed into this world not created not arriving to planet earth like like adam was fully grown not being transformed but being begotten and being born in the same way that you and i were born except by sin except by relating to to the seed of Adam. He's the seed of the woman begotten. That little tiny speck of DNA that was implanted in the womb of the virgin was the power of the Most High that overshadowed Mary. Supernaturally conceived. This is how the ginormous God connects with man without crushing us. This is how The all-consuming fire comes into contact with a human being without consuming us and destroying us. He had to become vulnerable. He had to become breakable. He had to become crushable. 
Tim Keller wrote this. There is no way to have a real relationship to get connected without becoming vulnerable to hurt. The gospel tells us that God became breakable and fragile. God. I mean, the very definition of God, all-powerful, becoming breakable and fragile. God became someone we could hurt. Why? To get us back. No other religion, whether whether secularism, Greco-Roman paganism, Eastern religion, Judaism, Islam, covers it all believes that God became breakable or suffered or had a body. No, that's why this is unique. The gospel is not like any other means of coming unto God. It's God coming unto man. And see how, see how he's elevated the dignity of, of man. I mean, once there was God and then there were angels and, and then God made man. But now there's God and now there's the God-man and there's the body of Christ that are the members of his body, which is now way higher than angels. For at no time had he ever said to any angels, my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make all your enemies a footstool. Do you ever stop and think? You know, here is God, God with two eyes and two hands and and, 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 and a liver and, and two lungs and, and, two, and two feet and... and uh, God walking among us. Beginning life just the way all of us began life, not knowing really who we were until we discover who, who, who we are. God having tear ducts so that he could weep with those that weep. God having facial muscles so that he could smile and, and laugh with those who laugh. God who, who, who could dance at a Hebrew wedding and, and, and laugh. This is God coming among us, who sets up shop in a village, who who has a zip code, who has an address in Capernaum, who has a shop where he has customers who, 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 who transact deals with him and he makes furniture for them. He makes drawers and he makes doors. And I mean, do you ever think about God fixing a broken door or God writing on a bill forgiven because the widow's husband, well, she's a widow now and she can't pay the bill. So he's written over the bill, forgiven. God, with a real body, experiencing real fatigue and real hunger. This is not make-believe. This is, this, is, this is entering into the feelings of our weaknesses, becoming as weak as we are to make a connection so that we can become, as I said last week, our real BFF, our real best forever friend. Now we could look at the face of God and not not be destroyed. Now we can hear the voice of God through a voice box, speak the words of God, the thoughts of God, without closing our ears as they did in, in, in Exodus chapter 19, because the sound of God's voice was so frightening to them. Now when God speaks to us, we can hear that still soft voice. This is, this is why John the Apostle was so blown away that in his first epistle, he wrote, he, wrote, he wrote, our eyes have seen him. Our hands have handled the word of life. We sat across the table from him. I passed him bread. I leaned on his chest. I heard his heartbeat. The very word of life. Who he wrote, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. 
So I suppose, now, now maybe I need to just tweak that question. And maybe the biggest question really at this point is, is how then do we share in this human life of God? How, how, how do I personally get connected? Because I understand, I understand the, the principle now of the second person of the Godhead being joined to the humanity of Jesus, but that's his life. What about my life? How, how, does, how do I make that connection with him? How does his life fill me with divine life, with the divine life of the human life of God, if you could understand that. Well, in order for that to be communicated to me, he's got to do something. He's got to give himself away. He's got to give everything away. He's got to sacrifice himself. That's what, that's what made the, the cross so infinitely costly and precious because this is not just the life of a man. This is the life of a man in whom is God himself, the God-man. He's not God humanized and he's not man deified. He's the God-man. He is absolutely unique. And so his sacrifice becomes absolutely unique. God doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. See, See the connection here. Paul says this in 1 Timothy chapter 2. He says, For there is only one God and one mediator, one go-between, between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. I love that expression. The man, Christ Jesus. I'll never, we must never forget the, the human nature of the man, Christ Jesus. And Paul says, We glory in the man, Christ Jesus. He's the reason why we can glory in God. Because there is a man seated at the right hand of majesty on high. Yes, he's the God man, but, but that's the way that we get connected to him. Because listen, he gave himself as a ransom for all men. He gave himself as a ransom price to redeem us, to purchase our salvation. And so he's qualified. He's qualified to be the go-between between God and men because he is God. But he's also the go-between between God and man because he is man. He's the perfect mediator. Sorry, there is no other mediator. There's no one else that can stand before you and God. I was raising my hands this morning just remembering that Jesus have, has the wounds. He stands before the Father. And the Father sees us through the wounds of his Son. And that's why we are complete in him. Because of what he accomplished for us. And in the process, in the process of giving himself, he rendered death powerless. He introduced a new kind of life. It's, a, it's, it's, it's brand new and it's totally new so that we who are in Christ now live in newness of life. There, there is something that has taken place, a transaction legally that has taken place, but also spiritually that also takes place. We become born from above. He becomes the first of many brethren. Mortality has given way to immortality when he ushered in life and immortality to light through the gospel. This is the connection. This is our identification with him. As much as I want to celebrate his birth, I don't identify 
as much with his birth as I do with his death and his, and his resurrection and his ascension, that we are united together with Christ. This is why Paul said this. Listen, in Galatians 2.20, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. Wait a minute, Paul, you never saw Jesus in the flesh, but yet he says, I have been crucified. My identity is, is to be put to death with Jesus. My old man, Paul says, has been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is, this, this is what it means to be a follower of Christ. It's to have his life being lived in us and through us. Just as the Son of God, the second person of the God, had joined himself to a human personality and a human body and a human nature. So likewise now, God joins himself by his Spirit. He sent the Spirit of Christ into our hearts whereby we cry, Abba, Father. He sent the Holy Spirit. And if you have been, have been sealed with the Holy Spirit unto the day of redemption, it means that you have been placed as a member of the body of Christ in the mystical body of Jesus. Bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. You are in Christ. And being in Christ is a wonderful thing. And Christ in you, as as, as wonderful as that is, Christ in you becomes the hope of glory. Did you ever stop and think that, 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 that God lived quite comfortably in a human body for those 33 years? I mean, he, he tabernacled with the children of Israel in the wilderness in a tent. But that wasn't his purpose. That wasn't his design or his, his desire. It was only temporary. Until Jesus said, destroy this body and in three days I will raise it up. And the body that he was talking about was his physical body which now becomes the body of Christ. And so the Bible says, don't you know that you are the temple of the living God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? A miracle of miracles has taken place. And it is amazing. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And it's the best thing for me to go away because if I, if I don't go away, I cannot send the comforter who is one just like me. But when he comes, he'll be in you. He'll be with you. We have, we have this blessing that, I, I know, listen, it's a lot sometimes to wrap our mind fully around because it's a mystery and because it is, it is ever being revealed to us piece by piece. And yet it's by faith that we apprehend this. And it's by faith that it's our greatest privilege to grow in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to ever be growing. Because the one who has set us free from the law of sin and death has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. You know, a lot of times I hear people asking me questions about the Holy Spirit and they want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and chapter 14. If you want to learn anything about the Holy Spirit, you need to read Romans chapter 8. 16 times the Holy Spirit is featured in that chapter talking about the activity and the presence and, the, and, and what the Holy Spirit does. He bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then are we heirs of God and join us with Christ. You, you can't invent this. Man didn't originate this. This had to come from the very mind 
and heart of God. And that really is where it came from. Dr. Joseph McDougall shared this story that took place a long time ago, 1947. It's about 64, 65 years ago. First time he met a young woman by the name of Eleanor, she was sick and she had come into the hospital and her normal weight was about 125 pounds. When he first saw her, she was 87 pounds. She lost almost one third of her, of her body weight. Her husband had come back from World War II. He had contracted tuberculosis. Now she had TB. He had responded. He was pretty healthy. He had responded well to the medication. She did not. She looked toxic when he first saw her. And yet if you showed her the smallest kindness, he said she had a, a great big smile on her face. She was a courageous young woman. 23 years old, had a, had a one-year-old little girl at home, but very, very sick. X-rays showed that there was a, a lesion on the lower lobe of her right lung that was, that was surgically impossible to repair. She wasn't responding to any of the medication. She was getting increasingly worse. She was dying. She says, I, I tried everything that I could do to help her. But there was, there was nothing else I could do. I said, I had to be honest with her. I had to say, There's, we failed you. We have failed you. There's nothing that we could do. You're in the hands of God now. This was in December, 1947. She said, she said to him, she said in, in her weakened state, she said, if I'm still alive by Christmas Eve, could you promise, could you please send me home for Christmas Eve? The doctor says, so I promised her. I knew that it wasn't, a, not only was it not a good idea, but I also knew in my heart she would never be alive by, by Christmas. But somehow, some way, she managed to stay alive, though barely. He sent her home in an ambulance with this instruction, do not, do not touch, do not handle, do not hold your baby, as hard as that will be. Keep the surgical mask on. And the next day, she came back to the hospital. And over the next couple of days, her complications seemed to grow even worse. She had, she had new symptoms. Now now she was vomiting on a daily basis, and, and she was losing more weight, and she was constantly nauseous. And he called in one of the other doctors, a senior doctor, to just examine her. Just, just what's going on with this, this young woman, 23 years old? The doctor examined her and he said, you know, he said, he said, he said if, if, I, if I knew better, I would say, I would say, I would guess that she's pregnant. And he said, there's no, there's no way, there's no way that she's pregnant. There's no way that, that, she could, that she could ever have a child. So he ran a test and the test showed that she was pregnant. On the, on the, the borders of life and death, she now had another life living on the inside of her. There's no way that she could go full term. So what happened? Expecting the worst, days turned into weeks and then weeks turned into several months. And by March, Eleanor started to feel better. Eleanor started to gain weight. Eleanor was breathing better. 
And an x-ray now showed that in order to make room in the womb of that young woman, the diaphragm was being pushed up and it did what medical science couldn't do. It closed that lower lobe, that hole that was created by the tuberculosis. And she was getting better. The very life that was in her became the life that became the savior of that mother. That little baby in the womb of a virgin became the savior of the world. Giving himself, but not by his birth, saving us. No, there had to be something else. There had to be a cross. We have to come to the cross. Christmas is a reminder to us that that God made a connection with our humanity. That that connection began in the heart of God. And the connection isn't complete until your heart is open. So here's my final question this morning. Is your heart open? Is your heart open to the Son of God to make that connection today? If it has been open, you've got cause to celebrate the humanness of God. You have cause to rejoice this morning because God so loved you that He didn't just give His Son but that his son became one of us as us so that by the cross, by the shedding of his blood, by the ransom price that was paid, he might redeem a people that are unworthy and unholy and sinners so that we might become holy, set apart, and transformed by his life living on the inside of us. See, the gospel doesn't just stop with forgiveness. The gospel starts with forgiveness. And it doesn't end until there's transformation that takes place. God is at work in you, both to will and to do his pleasure. To bring about in you, listen, conformity now to the image of his son. God is not satisfied with just Jesus and the Son of God being joined together, He wants the body of Christ to be conformed to the image of His Son. And daily, He's doing that. Sometimes it's imperceptible, but, but over the course of a lifetime, we're no longer what we once were. We're being changed from one degree of glory to the next. We're being changed from glory to glory. And this is the gospel. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning that you initiated this, that we could not make a connection apart from you making that glorious connection with us. That you initiated it, that you, like the shepherd, came to seek and to save the lost, like, like, like the woman who searched for the lost coin, like the father who waited anticipating for the return of a prodigal. So, Father, you are the one who made this connection. And I pray this morning that if there's any heart here today that needs to make that opening today, Father, that that you would even do that this morning, that you would, like 
you did for Lydia open the heart of some man, some woman, some young person that's here today and make that connection come into us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let the Holy Spirit be shed abroad in these hearts, the love of Christ. I I just pray even now, Father, for one to come forth today to say, yes, my heart's open to all that God has for me. If you're here this morning and and that applies to you, it's not magical words that, that does it. It's just the heart reaching out to him. To as many as receive him, to them he gives the power to become the children of God. Even to those that believe in his name. Believe upon his name this morning. Call upon him because he is good and gracious to all who call upon his name.